Hello and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode 37, and uh, let's roll. And episode 37 is going to be a home team pod, man. We, I am joined by my brother-in-arms, uh, the producer, Michael Duncan. And me and Michael are just going to roll together. Michael, what is going on today? Nothing much, man. I'm wide awake. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to talk about some rookies. I'm ready to argue with you about Rashad Bateman, Kyle Pitts, Devonta Smith. I'm pumped. Yeah, it's going to be all. It's going to be all that. You know, um, we had we had some technical difficulties leading up to this particular pod. We had the Shanghai Warrior from across the globe, and he did not fall off a cruise ship. Although next week we have fellow cruise ship uh, mate. Uh, Peter Howard on next week, which hopefully he stays on dry land and safe. He's because, finally been rescued. Yeah, it's it's exciting. But the Shanghai, the the splendid scholar of Shanghai, Mark Mathic, uh, really ran into some difficulties. W- what was the uh, the term that you said? It was the uh, the uh, oh, like analogous, yeah. complementary analogous. Yeah, he had a complementary analogous situation that really backfired on him and uh, wasn't able to make it. But you know, me and Duncan are going to roll, and we're going to be we're going to be able to really hit the stuff we want to hit. And kind of get where we want to get, and kind of share with with the audience exactly what we want to say, which is a lot of fun. So, you know, maybe you hear a little bit more of me, which I don't know. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. But here we go anyway. So they're not going to have a choice. They're not going to have a choice. <laughs> we're uh, <clears throat> we're rolling into you know not even two weeks off of the NFL draft, and you know we're we're drafting a ton of drafts. Um, you know, maybe you know you the listener, you're preparing for a single dynasty draft. You're like. Tell me who to draft, you know, and I, I, I think that's kind of what we're all trying to figure out is you want to not make mistakes early in that first round. You really want to want to make, you know, a safe pick, so to speak. And I think there's a lot of safe picks early in that first round. Um, you know, the way I kind of see it and, and, and Michael's going to have some disagreements with me, which is great. Uh, so we can work through them uh, where we agree. Maybe we're right. But you know, I, I see it as you know when I when I look at a, a any rookie draft, the first thing I try to do is I try to look for and identify the stud quote unquote stud running backs or the the top shelf running backs that are available in that draft, and I want to start there. I want to determine whether or not they're like last year with JT. I felt like he was worth the one point oh one in all formats, including superflex, uh, tight end premium, whatever the hell format you're playing. It was JT all day. And that was me, you know, that was just the way I felt. And, you know, I felt like Akers and Dobbins and Swift also really fit in that that top shelf, really uh, high up on that top shelf, you know. Um, so so now we look at those those backs and we kind of see Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and Javante Williams. They're certainly on that shelf. I don't know how high they are, but they're there. So you can, you can count those three. And anytime there's a, a quarterback in a super flex league, that projects to be a starter that was a round one pick that has pretty good pedigree. And there are five of them. Uh, there's some quote unquote bust potential with Zach Wilson, uh, pardon the pun, but uh, <laughs> I, know, I know you guys might've, might've seen that tweet. Uh, but um, you know, Zach's Zach's mom is all over Twitter. If you're not, uh, if you're not paying attention. So and tons of bust all potential. the talking we're going to be doing about Zach's mom on this podcast. Absolutely. Just to be safe. Absolutely, I'm just saying she's all over all over the place. Social media is her it's friend. Is not what I'm Snapchat though. No, no, that's for never mind. Yeah. Um. So you know you have those five quarterbacks. Um. You know 
say what you will about about Zach Wilson, and I have some concerns about whether or not he'll quote unquote pan out. But what I do know about Zach Wilson is play one, down one, game one. He's under center. Well, he's behind center. Whether he's <laughs> taking a snap from shotgun or not, I'm not sure. But he's going to be on the field, and and he's going to be given a long rope. Now, whether he hangs himself with that rope or not remains to be seen. But he's going to be given a lot of slack on that rope. So that that is kind of the Daniel Jones corollary, the Josh Allen corollary, where even though you know, like Josh Allen was arguably pretty bad in his first two seasons, although he did show hope. Um, you know, he was given that third season and then he has a near MVP season. I'm not saying that's going to happen with Zach Wilson. All I'm saying is he's going to be given those two seasons too. And almost no matter how bad he is, he's going to be on the field. Now there's value in that as a, as a, a, a super flex quarterback, because you can always trade that asset. You know, Drew Locke was tradable for a first round or multiple first rounds up until weeks ago. So, you know, that's the value of having, that's the value of having those quarterbacks. So all five of them fit that description. And then there's two premier talents in Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts. To me, that's the elite 10. So if you're in a if you're in a draft and you've got one of those 10 picks, you're going to get one of those guys. Um, you know, how you arrange them uh, could be due to your scoring settings or maybe team need. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go there. I mean, in other words, if you're in a 16 team super flex all five quarterbacks probably should go off the board immediately. If you're in a ten-team one uh, one quarterback, obviously none of those quarterbacks are going. You're, you know, you're just looking at uh, the other the other five players. But uh, in general, Duncan, am I? Are you with me, or are we already disagreeing? I'm with you for the most part, and I, I will say Zach Wilson. As much as I'm, I'm really not a fan of him. Uh, he's my QB four in this class, and I, I don't think that's a crazy take at all. But um, he is walking into a pretty good situation as far as rookie quarterbacks go and much better than Sam Darnold really ever had, you know, a new coaching staff, a very passionate coaching staff, a, a good offensive mind that learned under Kyle Shanahan, a good GM and, you know, the second round pick in Elijah Moore, Denzel Mims last year. Uh, it's, it's a good situation. And I think it's at least going to be able to provide fantasy value. I'm, I'm right there with you, but um, for me, I have one more guy in that same tier and that guy's Rashad Bateman. And I know that, uh, you know, we've already had half of this conversation already, but um, <laughs> he, he is the one guy that for me, uh, I'm just I'm not fully understanding why we are dropping on him. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we, we did have a little bit of this conversation uh, before we started the pod. And, you know, I sort of volleyed back that the the um, it's not the it's not the player. It's the volume, the projected volume. You know, Marquise Brown, San Bernardino Brown is still there in in. In Baltimore, they did bring in Tylen Wallace. They do have um, Mark Andrews, um, J.K. Dobbins. You know, so they have some other weapons. So, how much of those limited pass attempts go to Rashad Bateman? I mean, you really have to pencil him in for you know a twenty-five percent target share to get him to a hundred targets or or more. And I think he's going to need all of that in order to be successful. He's more of a possession intermediate guy than a deep threat. Like, you know, Marquise Brown saw, I think, just over 100 or exactly 100 targets last year and obviously was wildly efficient. Well, I don't know about wildly, somewhat efficient. Toward the end of the season, he was pretty efficient. He was pretty efficient, right? Scoring touchdowns, right? And so, you know, but as a deep threat with a, you know, with, with a lot of deep balls, he's going to have a few big plays. I think as a, you know, Bateman, a little bit more of a possession guy. Yeah, you know, I was, I, I think I told you too, as we've been talking about him off air, is like, 
I wanted him to go someplace in a high volume offense so he could play like Calvin Ridley, you know, yeah. where he could be that sort of see 130, you know, targets as a as a number two somewhere. That would have been amazing, you know. Um, and, and there were some spots there like Tennessee. You know, I kind of got a little excited as as he could be the sort of the other the other side of AJ Brown. And now we're sort of talking about him in the same breath as AJ Brown, and he's got to really pull off a magic trick to 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 stand up to your uh, draft spot for him. And what do you say about the volume? Not the player, but the volume. I know situations change, but how do you get him to the volume you need him to get to? Well, so first off, I don't. I'm not expecting that volume day one, year one, because. You know, obviously, Justin Jefferson did what he did. We, like, we see rookies do it occasionally, but more often than not, we see them put up under a thousand yards and we get pretty excited. You know, if they get you know, 60 receptions, 50 receptions, like, we're excited because it, it takes some time to acclimate to the NFL. But the thing is, is like with running backs, I definitely tend to think a lot more about the situation they're walking into because they have a short shelf life and you can't really wait for their situation to change to get better because by the time that happens you know they might not even be in the nfl anymore right um but rashad bateman's 21 years old he has an elite college profile he was extremely productive he has good size not elite size not you know like 6 220 size but good enough size he's good athleticism and you know if you're telling me that in three years this offense is going to look exactly the same as it does now i I have a really hard time believing that because the Ravens are going to adjust. They're going to grow and they're going to change. And there's always the chicken in the egg conversation of, well, okay. Yeah. Lamar Jackson doesn't throw to his wide receivers, but who are his wide receivers? Yeah, exactly. You know, like I'm an Eagles fan and I'm sure that'll come up plenty more times in this podcast, but (laughs) you know, you see Carson Wentz at the end of 2019 and everyone's talking about how he's not throwing to his wide receivers. It's like, well, he was throwing to Greg Ward, Deontay Burnett and Good Lord, I can't even think of a third one, which should say everything. The guy they drafted before DK Metcalf, J.J. Well, Sega Whiteside. Let's Sorry. not. Let's not. No, um, I, didn't, not I, didn't, I didn't want to do that right off the... Oh, no, you mean, wanted to, but... You, 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 must, you must love J.J. Ah, uh, yeah, he's great, you know, is uh, whatever. I meant Justin um, Jefferson, who you also passed yes. on. Sorry, I didn't... Yes, whatever. Um... I'm not out on Jalen Reggae yet, but that's beside no, the point. That's right. Situations change. Offensive coordinators are shuffling in and out all the time. You know, two years from now, we might see a pass happy offense because they realize that they can't keep up with the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs of the world to be able to succeed. And obviously, it's never going to be a Patrick Mahomes throwing 50 times a game offense. It's not. But if Rashad Bateman is the player who we think he is, he will drive targets his way and he will force the team to pass more. Now, that comes down to if he's the player that we think he is. I'm I mean, betting you're, that you're he telling, is. You're telling a lot of stories, and I like them. But they're, 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 you know, you can also tell a lot of stories where it doesn't work out, and you know where where it's just like, oh, you know, they're they're capped. The the Marquise Brown, you know, Rashad Bateman, even Tylen Wallace or whoever that third receiver is. Um, th- wait, do they have Sammy Watkins? They do have Sammy Watkins. They have Sammy Watkins too. Like, I mean, that's kind of a problem. I mean, it's just it's just a problem. There's just too too many wide receivers where. I'm just avoiding that. Now, you you make a good point. Look, situations change. That's great. But here's the other game you're playing in, in Dynasty, and that's the value game. And so if he goes out there and he sees, you know, 55, if he has a Jalen Rager season, I'm not giving up on Jalen Rager 
but it, you can't get for Jalen Rager what you can get for T Higgins, right? Yep. So this is a, one of those situations, in my opinion, where it's like I have those two players kind of close coming in, and you know, not to say that we should have seen Jalen Rager failing because of all the things that went wrong in Philly last year. That's not my Everything. point, but. No, because really, Rager could have had a great season uh, last year. I mean, there was a lot of things going wrong. We don't need to revisit them. I'm, and I'm not bashing on your Eagles, but... You can. It's fine. No, when I was defending uh, Carson Wentz last year, and when I'm defending him right now going to Indianapolis, I, I was I was joking. I said, he lost his running back. He lost all his wide receivers. Like, for better or for worse, whether you like them or not, Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey both got hurt, um, as did Rager. Like, everybody got hurt. And, you know, J.J. Arstega-Whiteside, I think, was also hurt, um, you know, but who would know Actually, because he didn't play? He, he was healthy, which is <laughs> he the was worst healthy. part. <laughs> that was also what ha- – that hindered them. J.J. Arstega-Whiteside was healthy, so that was a problem. Uh, yep. <laughs> but they, he lost both tight ends and all of his offensive yep. line. Like, that, does, that doesn't even make sense. He lo- say, If you say it out loud, he lost all of his offensive line, both of his tight ends, all of his wide receivers, and his running back. Like – of course I've it was bad. I've been saying it out loud to myself for the past year. It's so. nonsense, you know, so it was complete and utter nonsense. And, you know, they're in a little bit of trouble there. But but here's the point with Bateman is like, I just don't want to be chasing the value next year, you know, hoping that he sees some volume in year one. Because here's the thing, a lot of the, if he fails or if he if he doesn't live up, you know, to, to a, a first round pedigree, then people are going to be fading him and it's going to be hard to get off him. I would rather just buy him then. You know, I'd rather buy in like I'm buying in on Rager now. Um, you know, so I, I see your point. I like the player, but I'm just I'm not I don't love the player enough to like, you know, really reach and push for him. As a matter of fact, in a lot of drafts, if I'm past that top 10, I'd rather trade back six spots, let you pick the guys, and I'll take the next one, the last one. You know, whether yeah. it's Elijah Moore, Terrace Marshall, uh, Waddle, Smith, Bateman, even Rondale Moore, that whole group. I'll just take the sort of the I'll move back three or four spots and let you yeah. pick a few of them and then I'll take the leftovers. And and I think that'll be just as good. It's it's kind of like that T. Higgins, um Denzel Mims, uh Pittman. Ayuk was in there for Ayuk, that whole little thing there last year. It reminds me a lot of it. I don't know whether or not they're better or worse. We'll find out. But yeah. you know, this little group of wide receivers right there at the end of the first, early second, and drifting into the mid second. Very similar, you know, with even some of the later guys like Diami Brown, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Nico Collins. Like, not to say that they're they're definitely in a tier below for me, but yeah. point of the matter is is that they kind of spill into the later later part of the second round. So very much like last year. Yeah, and I I, I from the game theory portion of it, like I, I do completely agree with you. And if Rashad Bateman was going where he was in rookie drafts pre-draft, which was probably around like the one point eight, like he was getting drafted up pretty high because you know we expected a first round landing spot we expected you know he had a great profile um but you know i i I do agree with your point that if you're saying that you can get rashad bateman for Devontae smith plus or jalen waddle or elijah moore plus because you're trading back just to take the last guy in that tier then i can't really argue with that i just I'm willing to bet on Rashad Bateman because I think the talent is there and I think there's not really anything wrong with his profile analytically to suggest that he shouldn't be able to succeed at the next level. Yeah, he should succeed. I just think he'll succeed on 70 targets, which won't be enough to fair. To, to get him where I need him to be. But 
I, you know, look, if there's a way he gets there, great. Let's talk about another one where we're going to disagree, which is a lot of fun. You know, Kyle Pitts. Um, you know, here's where we agree wholeheartedly. Kyle Pitts is an absolutely dope football player and an amazingly unique tight end prospect in this league's history, period. I'll say that easily. However, I have a hard time drafting him early in this first round above the likes of the other guys in that top 10. If you, if I'm at pick 10 or 11, I got no problem pushing the button on Pitts ahead of that second group, the Batemans, the Waddles, and yeah. all that. But I have a hard time taking him ahead of even Javante Williams or sometimes even Mac Jones or, or, or Zach Wilson because of positional value and, and you know, go ahead, give the people what they want. Give them the red meat, and I'll come and throw the cold bucket of water all over it. I'm just I'm extremely surprised that Mr. Dino Game Theory is out on Kyle Pitts and isn't willing to take him until, you know, that 1.8, 1.9, 1.10 area because you're talking about positional value. And if there's one thing I know because I've traded away all my first round picks in my home dynasty league for every tight end you could possibly imagine, it's that having Travis Kelsey on your team is such an advantage. It is a positional advantage unlike anything else in fantasy football because it's not like you know if we're talking one quarterback it's not like quarterbacks where you can start the first guy or you can start the 17th guy and the difference is maybe you know three or four points every week at tight end if you're not starting travis kelsey and you're not starting one of the other you know top two top three guys you're getting absolute garbage and there is a very realistic chance that you're getting zero points that week now, obviously, there is no way to guarantee that Kyle Pitts is Travis Kelsey. I, I it, It's foolish to say that there's a 100% chance, but everything that I've done and looked into and everyone that I've trust and read, and just like you said, he's such a special prospect, and he, he's walking into a situation that they are in win-now mode. They have a pass-happy offense, very little running game. Maybe Julio Jones gets traded, probably not. Even if Kyle Pitts doesn't, produce day one the upside of his ability to be Travis Kelsey or to be George Kittle just from an athletic perspective and a production perspective in my opinion you could draft him 1.1 and I wouldn't have an issue with it because if he does like worst case scenario his Eric Ebron that's not great obviously and you're not going to be happy with that but that's true of literally any prospect Trevor Lawrence could be uh, Ryan Leaf and Jamar Chase could be whoever the Eagles draft at wide receiver year after year. That's the real, like you can say that about any prospect drafted at any point in the first round, because statistically it's always a shot in the dark. That's what the draft is. But if Kyle Pitts upside is Travis Kelsey, I think that's the best upside that you could possibly get in the first round. Yeah, that, that's a, that's the, that's the, that's the positive side of things. And what I would say is that in order for you to really re, re, reclaim the value that you want, he kind of has to do that. That's my only point. Like he can't be Noah Fant or you're like, all right, I've got a tight end. You know, I've got a good tight end. I've got the tight end seven in dynasty, you know, and that's not to say that that's a bad thing. You know, I think he looks a lot like Darren Waller in the way that he plays. He's going to be a mismatch nightmare on the outside. I think that's really where he's tantalizing. And, and in Atlanta, 
you know, with Arthur Smith, I think that they could use him correctly. We've seen worse tight ends produce in that offense. For sure. But, and, and it's a different offense, right? I mean, yeah. it, it, you know, I mean, fair. I guess, you know, if you're talking Atlanta or, you know, uh, sometimes I was actually a little bit crazy about how they used Janu last year. I was like, why isn't he getting more opportunities? But, you know, maybe John is not the player that we thought he was. I don't know. Like, right. Of, of course, it's not like that's a John whole different is, conversation. It's a whole different conversation. But I'm just saying, like, you know, I can see it. You can just see him you know, in the dome, you know, three wide receiver set. And it's like it's, you know, Hayden Hurst is actually the tight end. And it's Ridley Pitts yep. and Julio. And it's like, holy shit, you know, this is going to be a problem because Julio is still dope. Like if he's healthy, he's at least the a top three wide receiver talent in this yep. league. Easy, like, it's not even close. It, it is period. Like he's the dopest. So he's going to pull coverage. Ridley is an absolute technician in the middle. It creates a lot of open space and a lot of red zone opportunities for Kyle Pitts. He could go bonkers, and you're a hundred percent right. And the other part, fantasy football is supposed to be fun. Yep. Dra- pushing the button for Kyle Pitts is super fun. It feels uh, like <laughs> so fun. Like click, click Kyle Pitts, motherfucker. Like absolutely. So I'm with you there. I'm, uh, you know, maybe prag, maybe pragmatism is getting the better of me here. Um, and you know, there'll be some spots where I push the button for Kyle Pitts. There's no doubt about it. Um, there's just no doubt about it. He's he's a he's a special prospect and and a fun prospect. But you know. He's really got to pan out for that pick to work if you're picking him well above some of these other premium assets. But you know what? I got no problem with it. I just have a hard time necessarily fitting him in sometimes because of positional scarcity and the way that things work. You know, he just has to be he has to be one of the best tight ends of all time, which he very well could be in order for the take to take him at the 101 pans out. Does that make sense? No, it, it makes perfect sense. And like, I'm not. You know, I'm not going to get angry about anyone that doesn't take him because I, I totally get the conversation. Like drafting a tight end in your first round of your rookie draft is so boring. It, like normally it feels so boring. Like you're sitting there and you're like, do I really want to take TJ Hawkinson when some wide receiver or some top running back is on the like it doesn't feel good. Even if Kyle Pitts is Kyle Pitts, which is probably as sexy a tight end as we've had in years. But which that sounds pretty weird when you say it like that. But, <laughs> you know, I, I will say this. You will not be able to trade for him after no. week one because he's playing Philadelphia and we don't have any linebackers or safeties that can cover him. So so he's going off in week one. Is he, he's me. going to go off for like eight touchdowns. He's going to do TJ Hawkinson's rookie year. I don't know what he does after week one, but his value <laughs> is spiking after week one. So that's fantastic. I can't wait for that then. Um, so here's, here's, here's one. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and we'll talk about the other, the other, uh, elite talent, which is Jamar chase. And I'm going to frame the question this way, or at least get the conversation started this way. A lot of people are talking about T Higgins being sort of dead. And quite frankly, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Like, I don't even understand what you're talking about. Like T Higgins this is great for T Higgins. Who cares? I mean, it's certainly not the best thing ever. I think it would have been a little bit better if they had gotten like, I don't know, someone like um, Rashad Bateman, you know, where it was like maybe a little one, a one B where it's like sort of thing, you know what I mean? But um, still, I think this is absolutely not a problem for him. And I've referenced the fact that AJ green saw over a hundred targets in that offense last year. So, 
you know, if you pencil in Jamar Chase for, you know, 100, 120, which is easy to see, then T. Higgins can still be T. Higgins. I mean, I think they're going to pass a lot. They were passing at a record pace. Um, They were, they were playing amazingly uh, with Joe Burrow. And I think, you know, hopefully Joe Burrow's healthy, first of all. I mean, obviously that's a big if, um, and you know, he needs to be in order for this to all work out. But Health is always assumed. You know, you can't be like, well, what if they get hurt? Well, fucking A. If, if anybody gets hurt, it's kind of screwed. Exactly. But if, if Joe Burrow is under center, uh, t- you know, throwing the football around un- in that offense, there's plenty of pass attempts to go around. This is a team that could approach 600 pass attempts, and you don't have to get too aggressive with your projection for T. Higgins to have him have a monster season and Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase. Your thoughts? I love T. Higgins. I was higher on him than consensus last year uh, going into the rookie draft. Um, you know, and I loved that he went to Cincinnati. Uh, I love that he was there with Joe Burrow. And I get it. You know, obviously, if they had drafted Penny Sewell in the first round, everyone's pumped because T. Higgins is going to get like a thousand targets. But the reality of the situation is no wide receiver. OK, some do. Very few wide receivers get, you know, 170 targets like there's not a lot of DeAndre Hopkins type situations in the league when he was just getting peppered with every target in that offense in Houston Um, but we still see wide receivers are able to be extremely productive and T Higgins is a great deep threat wide receiver like he he doesn't have to be peppered with targets to be uh, to produce fantasy wise he can be you know he can score on a one play 50 yard bomb And I think he might be able to do that better than Jamar Chase. And I love Jamar Chase, but I think they do play slightly different roles. I can see Chase moving to the slot a little bit more and being maybe that slant guy who gets a little more yards after the catch. But I don't think it, I don't think T Higgins is dead at all. He's just a hundred percent a buy to me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Chase is going to eat into it. Higgins is going to eat into Chase. It's not perfect for either of them, but. We see it Look, happen all the time. Yeah, you know, T. Higgins saw 108 targets in only 14 games, and you know I think he's just I think he's just fine. I, I, I'm penciling him in for well over 100 targets again this year, and you know he had six touchdowns. He was a goal line weapon, especially yep. when Joe Burrow was in the game. Of course, there was no such thing as a goal line weapon when Joe Burrow was not there because they were dog shit. So yep. you know I mean, but even still, he actually. Did catch a couple of touchdown passes um, with whatever shitty backup was in there, but um, you know, I, I think I think T. Higgins is still an absolute one hundred percent buy, and I, I haven't even really dropped him down really at all in my dynasty rankings. I mean, it just has no effect. I I, I don't see it at all. You know, I just see um, Jamar Chase going to a great spot. I'm way all in on Jamar Chase as a as a wide receiver prospect. If you want to draft a wide receiver in your first round of your rookie draft, just go ahead and take Jamar Chase. Like there's no problem there. Like, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a running back first kind of guy, but only because of running back scarcity. You know, it's so hard to find a an elite running back. You know, there's only about 15, maybe 20 in the league at any given time. So yeah. really those things are very, very valuable items. You know, there's 32 starting quarterbacks, maybe 25 are are playable in Superflex. I mean, all of them are playable in Superflex. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, 25 of them are like, oh, okay. I'm you feel like, sh- okay, putting them in your lineup. And <laughs> yeah, you I've got a shot here, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but with, with bell cow stud running backs who see the, you know, the, the majority share of touches and, 
and get targets and all that sort of thing. There's maybe 15. And so if you're in a 12-team league and you have two or three, you have a huge advantage. So that's the reason I lean running back. But again, as a prospect and as a player and as a long-term asset, Jamar Chase should be the 101 in that regard. Like He's just so, so good. So I, I see them both being very complimentary to one another. Tyler Boyd will still be fine in this slot. He's another buy low. I, you know, I don't know what Tyler Boyd, I'm going to look him up real quick while you give me your opinion, but Tyler Boyd's also a buy in my opinion. I mean, I think he's a buy only because I think he's going to be dirt cheap. Uh, I, I don't expect big things out of Tyler Boyd. I never really have. Um, I think that he can put up solid numbers on a weekly basis, most likely. Um, but I don't. Th- I, I think with T. Higgins and Jamar Chase there, I think what's really going to get eaten into is Tyler Boyd, and I think his upside is more or less gone, barring injury from one of them, um, especially when you add Joe Mixon into the mix. Um, so I, I would buy him because a cheap wide receiver that you can start on any given week and probably have a safe floor is just a valuable thing to have. And if someone thinks that the dude is dead, I mean, just take it, you know, throw like a third round pick or something to him. And I would take Tyler board all day. I'm, I'm willing to bet. And, and, you know, again, barring health, but if, if all three of those players and Joe Burrow plays every game this year, I would be more than, I'd, I'd take this bet right now for even money that they'll all have 100 targets. So I don't think there's any chance of Tyler Boyd healthy 16 games with Joe Burrow seeing 80 targets. I just don't see it. Um, you know, he's had 108, 148, and 110 the last three years. You know, he's been a target machine. You know, I think he's going to see 100 targets again uh, out of the slot. He may be a little bit more efficient, but he, you're right. He's a floor play. You know, his, his career high in touchdowns, seven. You know, his career high in yards per reception, 13. I mean, he's a... You know, he's 100 targets for, you know, 900 yards and six touchdowns. That's what he is. I mean, but I think he's that. And but I just don't those think those guys are valuable. Yes, of course. I mean, again, I'm not looking to go buy him to play him as my WR1 and get excited. Of course not. You know, I mean, he's a, but he's, a, he's just going to be a really solid piece uh, on a weekly basis. And, you know, again, to, to say these guys are dead, they don't have a tight end. I mean, yeah. I don't even know, like, Drew Sample. Yeah, blocking tight end. They don't have a tight end that catches the football. I mean, Uzoma might come back. Is he healthy? I don't know. I mean, he wasn't even that good to begin with. I mean, he was just sort of a sneaky tight end play because he was the tight end. I but, started um, him. It was what's depressing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, and and you're right. Mixon is 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 a narrow up guy because of his price as well because he's in that you know RB fifteen to RB twenty value in dynasty. You know, if you can trade a Josh Jacobs and get yourself a Joe Mixon. I'm, I'm all Mixon in all day. Yeah, I mean, I've in. been buying Mixon like every year for the past like three years, so I don't know how much that means. But <laughs> yeah, you're going to happen eventually, year. right? Yeah, you're going to be right this year. Oh man, that's um, funny. But speaking of Joe Mixon, that you know that RB fifteen to twenty range. I'm curious where these running backs, the rookies, fall for you. There's obviously there's three of them: Najee, Travis, and Javante Williams. Are they in that range? Do you think one of them has the upside in year one to be like a top 10 guy, like a real league winner? Or what do you think? Well, I mean, you know, it's the it's the narrative, but I think the narrative is probably correct that uh, Najee Harris is going to see the most, um, you know, volume in year one. I think that's probably right. Um, I mean, Benny Snell and uh, Anthony McFarlane are not uh, threats to his touches. So I think he'll just get everything he can. I think he's built 
to withstand, you know, heavy workload. Um, he proved he can, he can dominate a workload last year. I think that was the one thing that we did have question about with him, uh, before last year, he's 23 years old. So yep. he's not looking to, you know, kind of ease into it. He's ready. He should be in his prime. He should be he ready to, to go. Be. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, if he's he, not, then you're screwed. Exactly. So I think he's the one that, you know, I'd be a little, um, aware of his age as you get into his second and third years, you know, maybe start to think about, you know, your, your exit strategy with Najee, but early on, I think he's going to be hit the ground running in that offense and he's going to be featured and targeted. That's the thing that I'm really excited about is I think he'll get all the goal line and all the targets. So that's huge. So I do have Najee as the highest uh, rated rookie for that reason. But I actually have Najee and Travis Etienne back-to-back in my dynasty rankings at, at 13 and 14. So they're pretty pretty high up there, I guess. I don't know. Maybe some people have them higher. I'm highest uh, in undroppables uh, consensus anyway. And I have Javante at RB17. Um, and I really like Javante. Javante is really young. He, I think he might have just turned 21, but he, he'd been 20 years old this whole time. Um. You know, all the sort of scouts, film watchers, all love him. You know, I'm not too much of a film scout. I wouldn't call myself that, but I do watch some. And I was blown away. The kid just looks unbelievable. I mean, he's just a real tackle breaker, a real instinctive runner. Uh, doesn't have that breakaway speed, but I think he's got everything you want as far as a football player is concerned. So I like Javante. So that's where I have him. I have him at uh, 13, 14, and 17. So they are within uh, my top 20 backs. And you have them all top 10 in your rookie rankings as well. Which yeah, of course. Yeah, for sure. First round, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, for, and for me, you know, I'm, I'm, those are the guys I'm looking for in rookie drafts. I always have been. I, I, you know, I really want to be able to grab those guys in rookie drafts because, you know, you look at Akers and Swift and Taylor. Now they're like top 10. Like they go in the first yep. round of startups, you know, they're just like, because that's what they, you know, so if, if Harris, Etienne and Javante pan out, they're going to be in there next year. They're going to be right up there. So the value that you get with those backs is huge. And, and yeah, so absolutely. That's where they're at. Yep. And I can confirm that Javante Williams just did turn 21. He was actually born April 25th, a day before my birthday. So happy birthday, Javante Williams. Absolutely. Um, there you go. But uh, yeah, I- I'm right there with you. I-, I do have Travis Etienne as my running back one, um, which was really tough for me because I was a big James Robinson uh, fan last year. Still am. Pour one but, out. Um, yeah, pour one out for James Robinson. I know you um, were. So got to give, hold on, got to give the people what they want. So number one, uh, Michael Duncan did an amazing, amazing job with our draft-a-thon. Some of you tuned in. I mean, everybody's got a draft-a-thon, and the NFL draft gets a lot of eyeballs. So I know a lot of you didn't watch it, but it was a lot of fun, and, and we did great, and we had a lot of feedback, and it was fantastic, and we had a lot of great guests, and we did it for all three days, first, you know, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and there was so much work that went into it, and Michael Duncan really pulled it all off and should be applauded for that. But because of that, he was actually producing the whole thing the entire time I was listening. And even though he wasn't on air with me, he was literally backstage when I was on, or were you on with me? Were you uh, there? That, yeah. I think that was when Peter, Peter, Peter was on. So yeah, you were there, weren't you? 
Yeah. Yep. He was on air with me when when and Peter Howard when when you know the Mr. Game Theory was proven correct that they are dumb enough to draft a running back in the first round and they 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 eviscerated your James Robinson uh They wanted takes. Kadarius Tony though. <laughs> yeah, well, you know there's, there's a bigger idiot than them. Oh, Dave Yettleman, thank you for that. Um, but yeah, I, I love Travis Etienne. Uh, it's it, it's really hard. I've I've been a really big fan of his for a couple years now. I have him as my RB one, and you know the biggest reason for me is just you know I, I'm very analytically based. I do I watch film. I don't you know pretend to be anything I'm not. I watch it. I understand football, and I think that I can take value from it but i like looking at the numbers i understand the analytic portion of stuff and there's his profile is awesome and yes you know all we really wanted the the the, the cap or the the feather on the cap with travis etn was first round draft capital and he got that and on top of that he's going to a place where his college quarterback who peppered him with targets and uh dump offs is the quarterback they're both going to be starting from day one and who is you know, Trevor Lawrence, the number one overall pick, going to look to when he's feeling uncomfortable in the pocket in his first NFL game. It's probably going to be his, the one dude on the field that he's pretty familiar with in Travis Etienne. So, I, I again, um, it's kind of, I hate thinking about the landing spot because I am a huge James Robinson fan, but I think Travis Etienne landed in about as good of a spot as he possibly can. Um, it's a new coaching staff. It's a new front office. They have no allegiance to James Robinson, which is what you've been saying this entire time. <laughs> yes. And, you know, he's a first round running back and he's, you know, that whole thing about him being a third down back is bullshit. Of course it is. James Robinson might take the first snap, <laughs> but, you know, he's taking the first snap just like Mike Davis did in David Montgomery's rookie year. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Travis Etienne, of course, is the third down back like. Of course, he's the third down back. What he's basically saying is that, you know, Urban Meyer, that is, is that uh, James Robinson and Carlos Hyde will be taking all of the empty calorie touches between the 20s and, you know, grinding out the end of the half and all that. You know, all these the, Travis Etienne isn't going to smash it up the middle uh, here and there when they just need a, you know, when they just need a, a couple yards on second and one. And no, that's not his game. He's going to be in there in high leverage situations. Now, what what he may or may not do is is be goal line, but it may or may not matter because he can run it in from twenty, you know, run it in from eighty for that matter. Yeah, but, newsflash: Travis Etienne is fast, and yeah. he does not need you know twenty carries in a game to be a fantasy superstar. The dude right. needs twelve carries, five to seven receptions, yep. and I, I think it's a pretty safe floor. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I, it's it's I, it, it's so tough because you know you see people falling on him. Um, but I think long-term he walks into a much better place than Najee Harris because, you know, you're talking about in year two, three with Najee is when you kind of need to start thinking about the exit strategy. And, you know, with a lot of running backs, you want to kind of get to that second contract and then they get that second contract, you trade them away because that's normally when they start falling off. I agree with you. I don't think Najee even gets to that second contract before he falls no. off. Because- and, and, and really, you know, obviously a lot can change and, and a lot will change yeah. and whether Pittsburgh, you know, I don't know what they're going to do at the quarterback position, but that that clock is ticking, know. right? But the, you know, for those who are like, well, then Ben's gone, and then there's problems. It's like, well, no, then Ben's gone, and then they do something else. Like, yeah. who knows? It could be better. Like, we have no idea what that looks like. Like, I don't know. It could be someone that we're not. Could be Aaron Rodgers for all we know. You know, what I mean, like, 
the, who the fuck knows? Nobody knows. So we're not going to prognosticate in that regard because almost no matter what the hell happens, it's, it, you know, we, we, we just can't predict, you know, Trevor Lawrence could blow out his knee like Burrow. And then, you know, so we don't know what'll happen, but what we do know is you're right. That ETN is tethered to, to Trevor Lawrence for his entire career, you know, yep. uh, you know, at least the first four or five years. Right. So yeah, you make a good point. Um, I think it's very, very sound, to have Travis Etienne as the RB one, and I, I have them really close. And you know, I I was just in a in a draft, and I took Najee. The four quarterbacks had gone, and Jamar Chase, and I was at the six, and I tried trading even with the seven to move yeah. down a spot because I let him ch- choose which running back, and I take the other one, and yeah, it didn't work out. I took Najee, and but I was a flip a coin, you know. And in that particular league, I'm a win now team. Uh, you know, so I'd said, well, I'll take the win now player, you know, at least presumably. So I'm with you. It's definitely a coin flip. I like both players a lot. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, film criticism of Travis Etienne, but you know, I, I just can't, I can't put enough into that because he was so damn productive. There's also a lot of film that shows him just, you know, yeah breaking it off. So we'll see. I mean, he's not the, the, the most nuanced runner, um, you know, he's not Emmett Smith. Let's just put it that way. You yeah, know, exactly. He's not that. And player, I don't think though. you're drafting him to be like, you're, exactly. you're not drafting him to get 25 carries in a game to be Najee Harris, to be Derrick Henry. And I just, I, I think that's important to remember because the running backs that we like in fantasy, a lot of the time are not Derrick Henry, right? They're not, I mean, Najee Harris is, you know, we don't know what he is yet, but it's not these guys, not anymore. It's not these guys that are getting 25 carries. It's guys that are getting more like 15 to 20 and they're getting peppered with targets. And Travis Etienne is an, is an incredible receiving back. And I, I think he has, you know, I think his, his ceiling long-term, I think is a lot higher than Najee's. So that's, but I think you're right also that in year one, I think Najee is going to gain a lot of value. I think he's going to exceed expectations and have the opportunity to be, you know, JT this time next year where you could trade him for anything. So, so the people want to know, and I know I, I kind of want to know too, cause I don't know what the fuck I'm doing with this situation. <laughs> the, the Michael Carter, Trey Sermon situation. Yeah. Um, man, I, I am so in the tank with these two guys. And what I've found is that generally in the rookie drafts I've been in, there's somebody in the league willing to jump uh, ahead and take these two guys a little bit before I'm ready to. So I haven't been on the clock so much with like a, a decision point, uh, you know, on these guys. But I guess what I'm getting at is where where should we be targeting them? I mean, I've seen them go ahead of you know some of these that that second tier uh, wide receivers there, the Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore, Bateman, Wallace. Uh, I mean Marshall. Uh, not Wallace, Tyler Wallace, obviously not, uh, Terrace Marshall, et cetera. And, you know, I, I just, I, I, I have a hard time taking those two running backs ahead of the more secure sort of Brandon IU, T Higgins, you know, that, yeah. that, that sort of LaVisca Chenault group of this year's wide receivers. How do you, do you, do you agree with that? I'm right there with you. I actually don't have Terrace Marshall in that same tier, but you shut um, your mouth. I don't, I I I like him, but I also think that, you know, we've talked a lot about like the game theory side of things. I just I don't see a world where he gains that much value in year one. I'd much rather trade for him down the line. 
Um, and I, I don't even think he's that much of a sure thing. I, I think he's sort of in his own tier for me. He's after the Rondell Moore, Jalen Waddle, Elijah Moore, Devonta Smith, Rashad Bateman. However you want to group those together and put them in tiers, he's kind of right below that. Um, but I do have Michael Carter and Trey Sermon right above him. Um, so I guess what's that? Like around like the 17th, 18th picks in the draft. Um, I kind of that's that. And, you know, we've talked we've talked about this a lot off the air. I think that's around the time in the draft where I'm just trying to trade back. I'm trying to attain value in future drafts or proven players because I like Michael Carter. I like Trey Sermon, but I don't think they're necessarily worth those picks in this draft. Yeah, they, they, they may not be. I think Here's the thing. With Michael Carter, he's like – he was super efficient. Uh, he was super productive. Um, he was he, – he gets comped to players like Giovanni Bernard. Yeah. Uh, I know Player Profiler has him comped to Devontae Freeman. Yep. I don't mind the Devontae Freeman one. That's the the out where he's a an alpha. I nice. mean, you know, because – Here's the thing, you know, people say he's small and he is short, but he's not small. He's yeah. THICC. I mean, he's 5'8", 201, 203. That gets his BMI above 30. Uh, that's been a a, a pretty big, um, uh, you know, point in the anatomy series for anatomy of an elite running back is getting over 30 BMI. I mean, almost all of them are above 30 and the only ones below are like Christian McCaffrey, who's obviously special, yeah. and like and like very like few guys. Yeah, or exactly, and he's pretty close as it is. So a lot of these smaller guys don't get to thirty BMI, and and he does have that BMI. What what that means as a as a running back is it means that he could be possibly deployed as an every down back. And the reason that he's so enticing is because in that offense, you know. There's just nobody else there. It's little Michael P. Ryan, Ty Johnson. I mean, he could be the you know, ghost of Tevin he, Coleman. He could be this year's Miles Gaskin, right? Where he just gets this volume and he's productive and he's an RB2. And you're like, there he yeah. is. You know, so that is very valuable if you can pick him somewhere in the second round. So I understand the appeal of Michael Carter. Um, I, it sounds like you may have some questions that that's possible. I I actually I, I like Michael Carter more than I like Trey Sermon. I guess he's my RB four, um, which I feel like is not a popular take. I feel like people are really in love with Trey Sermon, um, probably because they listen to your Matt Wolben pod. But uh, yeah, I, you know I, I I I'd rather have Michael Carter in you know an offense that we've kind of talked about. I think is going to be, or maybe we didn't talk about it. I think that might have been in the uh, ghost of the other pod. The but, outtakes. Yes. Um, but I think that offense is going to be sneakily good. I think Zach Wilson's walking into a good situation. And also, you know, what is what is a rookie quarterback's best friend? It's a good running game, a good pass-catching running back, and probably a tight end, and, you know, Chris Herndon maybe. Ooh. Yeah. Kenny Yeboah. Uh, Kenny Yeboah, even better. Um, but I, I like Michael Carter. I, I think that he's in a position where even if he's not a full-on workhorse, you know, I've talked about how I try to ignore landing spots as much as I can for wide receivers. And that's because, you know, they have these longer drawn out careers. They have time to grow and situations change. I, with running backs, it's the complete opposite. 
you know, I mentioned it with uh, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, but, you know, you kind of just want to get through that first contract and get everything you can from them. And I think that first contract might be everything, you know, that might be really good for Michael Carter really early on because he's going to have a lot of opportunity, very little competition, and he's electric. He's got, you know, game-breaking ability. So it doesn't even need to be a workhorse to be, you know, a solid RB2 week to week. Yeah, I think Michael Carter is worth the swing, you know, the sort of the home run cut in the second round. You know, you're swinging for the fences. You realize that this pick could completely crap out. You know, the safer pick is Elijah Moore or whatever, you know, like where you're like, hey, he's going to be a good wide receiver at the worst, you know, and and maybe a a, a really good wide receiver. Michael Carter could be sort of one of those. Like I said, it could be your Miles Gaskin. So it's worth a swing. Uh, in the second round, so I, I see it. I have no issue with it. You know, I I think I was in a draft recently, and uh, with with our very own Kyle Larson, I think he took him at like the two hundred one or two hundred two, something like that. And um, I wasn't like you know hashtag idiot. Uh, I, yeah. I kind of was like you know that's okay. I mean, I you know it's it's worth the swing. You know, if that pans out, he's going to look brilliant. If it doesn't, he cuts bait and moves on as a second round pick. You know, what are you going to do? Um, you know, so it's, it's not crazy, although I do have them, uh, both him and sermon behind that sort of group of wide receivers. Yes. brings us to Trey sermon, you know, Trey sermon. I mean, put it this way, whichever, you know, I've said this repeatedly and I I still think this is the way I see it, but whichever running back is the lead back in that San Francisco offense is a stud. Like, yep. Whoever it is, Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert, Jarek McKinnon, Jim Michael hasty, Wayne Gallman, like, you know, whoever the hell they put back there, but it's likely going to be all the people like all the, you know, it's going to be this guy, then that guy, then, you know, whoever doesn't have the sprained ankle and whoever's not getting, you know, treatment on his hamstring. And, you know, it's just going to be the hot hand, whether it's Mostert, Jeff Wilson, you know, of course my guy, Elijah Mitchell, uh, Trey Uh, Sermon. I think that'll probably be the running back room, which means Jamichael hasty and Wayne Gallman get cut. Someone's getting cut. That's the other thing too. It's like Raheem Mostert could get cut. I'm pretty sure crazy. that they he's 29 years old, which I constantly forget, dealing with a ton of injuries. And as electric as he is, I'm pretty sure that he has a decent, like a not a big dead cap, and they save some decent money if they cut him. So I don't think that's out of the question after drafting two running backs either. Yeah, I think anything is on on the table with that running back room. That's the point. If someone's getting cut, it's probably not Trey Sermon. Uh, you know. I hope. No, I mean, it's just not. They didn't spend a third-round pick and trade up to, to do that. Even if he was the worst one, they wouldn't cut him. So he's he's on the squad. Um, but but even Elijah Mitchell, who just got drafted, could get cut. So, yep. you know, at the end of the day, those guys are, are, are all competing for a position. But, you know, I don't remember the stat because I'm a moron. But going back last year, you know, midway through the year or whatever, it was like they, they had the, the least amount of – carries to their to their lead running back you know in other words they were sort of the most shared backfield in the league and I kind of see that going forward which is kind of what gives me pause I just don't see a guy getting you know the James Robinson treatment in that backfield no matter who he is almost I mean obviously if they found some sort of stud they might do that but they don't really have that I think you're right Mostert electric speed you know uh Wilson has been was very impressive in that offense. I think yeah. Wilson kind of looks like Sermon a little bit, you know, that, you know, he's not a, a super burner, but he's really effective runner. Um, 
So I, I think that's more what I'm what I'm thinking is going to happen, and, and and for that reason, I'm a little bit hesitant. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm right there with you. Trey Sermon reminds me a lot, and not in play style, but in the kind of way that we as a community are kind of valuing this player and kind of how you how I'm looking at him in rookie drafts. He reminds me a lot of Keyshawn Vaughn. And that is, um, you know, coming from a guy that was really excited about Keyshawn Vaughn last year. But he's a guy that a lot of people liked going into the draft. He got maybe slightly higher draft capital than we were expecting. And he lands in this spot where everyone wanted a running back to be drafted. Last year, it was the Tampa Bay Bucks who had Ronald Jones. But, like, did they really? And then they ended up getting Leonard Fournette, obviously. And Keyshawn Vaughn has done nothing because you could never really have a running back in that uh, room until the playoffs. And that didn't matter. Um, but yeah, Trey Sermon is a guy that we might like. He got better draft capital and he landed in a spot that is seemingly great for running backs. But I think you're spot on that. I don't think that any single running back is ever going to be able to be the guy there. I, I don't think it makes sense for their system because they've made it clear that whoever is in there is going to be effective. And if you can get fresh legs in there constantly, why wouldn't you do that? And I think Trey Sermon is a guy who I'd much rather see get like a, a, a bigger workload and be able to really build up. And I think that's his best path to fantasy success. I don't know if he can be Raheem Mostert, where there was a game last year where I'm pretty sure he was like a top five running back and he had nine touches. That's who Raheem Mostert is. I mean, Elijah Mitchell at an absolute ceiling, maybe he can do that. Um, he can at least give you some value on not a lot of touches. I don't know if Trey Sermon can do that as effectively as those other guys. So he might be a great football player and a great pick for the real NFL draft. But I, the more I, more I think about it, the more and more I'm just avoiding him. Um, yeah. I have him in my <laughs> rankings where he is because the possibility is great, but I'm I'm out on him for the most part. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I've, I've kind of, I'm in a two tight end league and, you know, I'm, I was on Sorry. the, no, it's, it, it was interesting. I, I, and I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, I got past the, that first tier where it's like, you know, the, the, the Devonte Smith, Jalen Waddle, Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore, Terrace Marshall, Rashad Bateman, you know, Sermon Carter, they're all gone. Yeah. And, you know, then you're looking down the barrel of Kadarius Tony, Nico Collins, uh, Diami Brown, Amos St. St. Brown, Kenny Gainwell, Chuba Hubbard, all good players. But it's interesting. What about Pat Fryermuth, uh, Hunter Long, Brevin Jordan? You know, these were guys that were, especially Fryermuth and Jordan. Yeah. Long was sort of in there, but Long tested well and kind of found I was a fan of Long. Yeah. Yeah, he found a nice spot. Like, I don't think it's crazy once those guys are off the board to maybe take a couple swings on a tight end if the league that you're in is any sort of tight end premium or if there's any, you know, shortage of tight ends or if it's a pretty deep league or whatever. These guys might be just as secure as some of the, you know, the quarterbacks are likely not going to ever play. Like Kellen Mond and Kyle Trask probably won't ever play, like, in the yeah. NFL. Like, they probably won't ever Realistically. play. Yeah, I mean, you know, you just go back and look at those picks every year, and if they fall behind, you know, Trask isn't beating out Brady, you know, so he needs an injury or some. I mean, what you know, so and Tom Brady doesn't get injured; he eats plants. Shh, so. Don't you jinx that? Don't you? You you're the one out here talking about Trevor Lawrence tearing his ACL. Fair, fair enough. At fair least enough. one of them's forty four years old. 
I mean, uh, allegedly 44 years old. We That's don't know. Fair. As a, yeah, we he's don't Benjamin know. Benjamin Button at this point. <laughs> he is going. The, he looks younger. It's true. 100% he's Benjamin Button. That's that's correct, um, but I'm just I'm just wondering what you what your thoughts are there. I I, I pulled the trigger on Fryermuth and Jordan. I got Brevin Jordan, you know, in the fourth round. You know, like God, like remember when he was like supposed to be good? Like yep. I'm not saying it, it may be bus city for Brevin Jordan, and you know it, it could be, but in the fourth round, I'm swinging. And you didn't even bring up a guy who I have. I, I actually have him ranked above Brevin Jordan. I have him right next to Hunter Long in my rankings. That's Tommy Tremble. Yeah. Now, he is everything I should hate looking at the numbers because he really just didn't produce in college. Um, but uh, Greg Cosell, who is a you know really good film analyst, works for NFL Films. Like I listen to him for a lot of uh, like Eagles stuff uh, going into the draft and um, you know everything I'm hearing about Tommy, Tommy Tremble and specifically from him, it was just that athletically the man the dude's a freak and he was just so good at blocking and notre dame didn't really i guess feature their tight ends in that kind of way that you know he just didn't really have that opportunity and he lands in a spot in carolina where he has very little competition um and he's also really young i think he's second to kyle pitts in terms of like youngest tight ends in this class yeah he's still not 21 Exactly. Like if I'm taking a shot on any guy like later in the draft at a tight end, it's almost always been Tommy Tremble. Um, but I like I like Pat Fryermuth. I think, again, you know, he's landing in a spot where Eric Ebron is there. But, you know, for how much longer you expect tight ends to take longer anyway? Maybe he can grow with a young quarterback or Dwayne Haskin uh, um, or who's that other guy? The dude who got hit in the head, whatever his name was. But um. <laughs> their other quarterback um and hunter long and, and i think the big question mark for hunter long is mike jacecki um Gusecki, however you pronounce it and it's you know i believe he's in the last year of his contract i want to say and obviously he's that guy you know a physical freak he was the one that everyone wanted you know is eventually going to break out and he kind of started to last year but um the path is not nearly as easy for hunter long and that hurts uh for a tight end uh in general so I think what it really comes down to is I'm not against taking shots in any of them. That's always been my draft strategy for tight ends, which clearly um, has not worked because I've <laughs> traded away all my first round picks. Um, but I like, I, I, I don't often draft. Well, you know, after talking up Kyle Pitts at the beginning, I don't often draft the high tight end. I wait until the fourth or fifth round and I take shots on guys that I think could have high upside. Adam Troutman was that for me last year. I think two years ago was Irv Smith. Um, and you, you understand that it has to take time, but that's fine. Most tight ends are going to. So I'm all for taking shots late in later rounds on guys like Hunter Long, Tommy Tremble, because they have the physical attributes to um, provide that possible upside. By the way, Irv Smith, same age as like all these other guys. Like he's, yep. he's not even 23 yet. You know, um, same age as Pat, Pat Fryermuth. Uh, he's a yeah. little older than Hunter Long, uh, yeah. same age as Trey McKitty, uh, yeah, same age as Kenny Yaboa. They're they're all that way now. Tommy Tremble still, like you said, very young, but yeah, um, Irv Smith could be in this draft class. Is my point. So he's he's definitely a target in Dynasty. Go get yourself some Irv Smith. Runways cleared there. It, there's still not a ton of buzz. There was as soon as Kyle Rudolph got got let yeah. go, but I think. That, that, that dust has settled a little bit. Now's a good time oh, to sure. go out and get yourself some Irv Smith. Um, he should have some uh, some pretty good target volume there in Minnesota. 
and, and yeah, I think some of these tight ends take a minute and, and you, in the third and fourth and fifth, if you have that many rounds in your rookie draft, you're really taking swings anyway. I guess what exactly. I'm getting at is some of these tight ends may be just as, as good a swing as any of them, you know, and, and especially if you can get Fryermuth and Jordan, uh, Tremble's a good, a good pick, Yaboa, uh, McKitty. They're, they're all sort of worth something. The other guy that, that's been getting some buzz, and I'm not sure what to think about him, is Kylan Granson, a uh, tight end out of SMU who's uh, over 23 years old but played at SMU but drafted in the fourth round by the Colts, and they're talking him up as the Trey Burton sort of replacement. Yep. Uh, very athletic, but again, 6'1", little small for a tight end. Um, so I'm not sure what to make of him. He was pretty damn productive and and was pretty explosive in college as he uh you know 16 yards per per reception and you know that that's something i i do like to see in my tight ends but the size is an issue but um the athleticism is not so i i I know you probably haven't like done a ton of work on kylan granson but what do you think about his fit in indianapolis i I have some questions because i think mo alley cox is like the prototype man i love me some Mo Alley Cox. So, uh, and, and please don't, you're the producer. Don't cut that up and make it sound like I said something else. You hear me? Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. But, uh, yeah, no, um, I agree with you. And I think I, I don't know that much about Kylan Granson. You know, I was kind of confused when they called his name. Every time a skill position went and I didn't know his name, I was kind of just pissed off, honestly. Like I <laughs> yeah. have this database full of players and it's like, really? Yeah, we rank like a hundred players, and they pick someone we didn't know. You're like, what the fuck, man? There was a lot of that this year. There was a ton of that. Harry Brightwell, like, (laughs) what the fuck is going on? Get out of here! Yeah, running Um, back, and then you look, and it's like fullback. You're like, who the fuck has drafted a fullback these days in the fourth round? It's it's ridiculous. But uh, what I do know is that Carson Wentz loves his tight end, and Frank Reich is very uh, pro tight end in his offense. He likes using tight ends. And yep. you saw that last year. They were able to piece together this this tight end unit that was producing fairly well, and that was with Phillip Rivers. Carson yeah. Wentz will hyper-target a, a tight end if um, if they're any good. And obviously, Zach Ertz is an all-pro. He's a pro bowler. Um, like he, I'm not at all saying Kylan Granson is going to uh, you know earn what Zach Ertz had with Carson in Philly, but you know Trey Burton's gone. Mo Ali Cox is still there, but he's kind of been pretty inconsistent. And then their other dude, um, Jack Doyle, he's, you know, dealt with injuries lately. So he's a guy I'm probably not drafting him depending on how deep your draft goes, but I'm probably going to be picking him up in most, uh, you know, undrafted free agents after, when waivers are running. Maybe I'm throwing him on a taxi squad. Maybe I'm just putting him on my watch list and picking him up, you know, as I add someone to IR or something. But he's a name to keep an eye on. If just so, you know, you have a little more information on this one future target than the rest of your league. He's been drafted in a couple of uh, rookie drafts that I've done in, in as early as the fourth round. And I'm like, huh. wow. yeah, exactly. Interesting. I, think, I guess yep. people are excited. Yep. I mean, and, and look, you know, there's, a, you know, sometimes those are those little, you know, people get a little excited and then all of a sudden, you know, the, 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 the dust settles and, He's just Kylan Granson. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's just no, but you know, Hey, an athletic player and a, and a potentially, you know, high powered offense with a great offensive line as a sort of a Trey Burton type, you know, move tight end could be exciting. Um, you know, um, yeah, I, I, you know, so it's, it's just, you know, with those late picks, you're just trying to find a, 
a shot. And speaking of a shot, I, I really think um, you know Javian Hawkins has a little bit of an opportunity as well as Ramondre Stevenson. You know, we were team Ramondre early in this in this uh, off season. We fell off of Ramondre, and then he gets drafted by my New England Patriots. You're back you know, on the train. Back on the train, baby. Choo choo. Let's go, Ramondre. So I think Sony Michelle gets cut. I think it's Damian Harris as the lead back. Oh, and, you think he gets cut? Yeah, straight up. Yeah, I don't think you they've know. got a, a spot for him. I, you know, I just, you know, yeah, I, I do. I think Sony Michelle's on the outside looking in. I think it's, I think it's James White, uh, Damian Harris, and Ramondre, and then you know, uh, special teams players from there. And Sony Michelle, sexy Rexy. Yeah, bring him back. Bring back sexy Rexy. But um, but yeah, I think some of these late running backs, you know, have an opportunity. Chuba Hubbard finds himself in a really weird spot. I don't know what to think about him. He's still getting drafted and, you know, in the third round of rookie drafts. And, man, behind CMC, I don't know what value he's going to have other than a high high leverage handcuff. Uh, am I missing something with Chuba? Well, first of all, I was way higher than consensus on Chuba. Um, he was right up there with um, Javante Williams for me. Actually, like kind of sometimes some days he was my RB three. Most days he was my RB four, kind of like right below that top tier of guys. I, I loved him. Um, I, I think he was extremely undervalued because of that weird senior season that I know, you know, it's been kind of talked to death at this point. Um, but, you know, for me in rookie drafts that I was doing pre-draft, he was already a value because he's a guy that everyone else was low on. And I was smashing him in, you know, the middle of the second, sometimes the early third. And that was pre-draft. That was before he was behind CMC. Right. Now he gets drafted, you know, not great draft capital, but no one in this draft really had great draft capital after, you know, the third or fourth running back taken. Right. So he's in a place where we've seen what a backup running back can do in that offense in Mike Davis. I think Chuba is much more talented than Mike Davis. Um, and we're looking at a guy in CMC that, as much as I love him, how much are you willing to bet that two years from now he is still the RB1 in Dynasty? Because I don't think I'd bet anything on it. I would bet my house on the opposite. I mean, just a few years ago, we had Todd Gurley and David Johnson running the world. Right. And it felt like they could go on forever. They won't. Um, right. That's right. But the reality of the situation is CMC's on a second contract. He's getting older. He's already dealing with injuries. And this is not me saying fade CMC for this upcoming season. But, you know, for me, this is Chuba is now being insanely undervalued. I, I'm seeing him go in the third round, the late third round, maybe even the early fourth round, because people want those running backs that are going to be able to produce early. Typically, I would agree. I've already said that like five different times, but. If you're going to give me a high leverage handcuff that I think is really, really talented, and also I can see a path to him being relevant within the next two to three years as maybe a full-time player in an offense that clearly prefers to utilize a workhorse. And again, I believe in the talent. I'm smashing that all day. I, I love. I actually love the landing spot a lot more than I think I initially did. Yeah, I... I... I think I'm going to advise the people to trade your 2021 picks is well, what that's I'm, true yep. is what I, I, because every time I talk about these prospects, it's like, you know, Ramondre Stevenson and JV and I mean, what the hell, man? Like none of these guys are getting me excited. And I think that's really what, what we're finding out is if you can, if you can trade out of this draft and, and you know, I, I kind of laid the blueprint on, on, on one of those, um, you know, examples in one of my drafts that I did recently, I shared it with the group. It's like, 
I, I, you know, I started with like six picks and I ended up making zero picks, traded all my picks for players and, you know, future picks. And, you know, I think I left the draft with CMC and acres and made zero picks. And I feel great about that. You know, I feel absolutely great. I, I ended up with a future first, couple future seconds, couple future thirds, CMC and acres and, and, and bless me. I am so happy about that draft. And I think that's kind of what you ought to be doing is getting creative with this draft as well. If you're not getting exactly what you need with the pick you're at, get the hell out of there. Trade out. Yep. You know, if you have a late second and you can just trade it straight up for a future second, do it. If you have a late third, you know, and you can trade it for a future third, definitely do that because this third round is dog shit for the most part. I mean, you might hit. There's definitely a chance. I mean, third round picks usually don't hit. So yeah. in this draft, it feels like they probably won't. There's there's fewer Chase Claypools and Antonio Gibsons uh, lurking in this draft, in my opinion. So the third round does not have as much fruit. Um, and even a guy like you know Lynn Bowden last year got drafted in the first round. Kadarius Tony this year, so he's yep. he's not a third round pick. So you don't have all these sort of I don't know. It just it feels like that's probably the advice. So uh, take your picks and trade them. Uh, for future uh, assets and, you know, trade back and take a couple swings in the fourth and fifth. It's probably just as well. Um, so I think that's the best advice I can give because it's just not inspiring. And once you're past the the, the front of that draft, and I think you and I talked about this too. I, I made a trade, uh, the 212 and a 214. I traded those two picks for the two, I don't remember what it was, 22, I think it was, in a 14-team yeah. league. So it's you know, the 212 and the 214 for basically pick 16. And pick 16 gets me in that Terrace Marshall, Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore, Jalen Waddell tier. So yep. I would target that Michael Carter, uh, Trey Sermon, and up tier. Count them out. There's the 10 and there's Devontae Smith. And there's like 16 or 17, somewhere in there. So... I would look at the in, in a twelve team league that two five two six two four, and I would try and trade everything I've got, in, you know, late seconds, early thirds, trade them all as a group to get in that top half of the second round because it's worth it. Because or get the hell out uh, if you can't move up, get out. And I think that's the best advice I can give. Uh, yeah, I, you actually took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to bring up so I, I had my home leagues. Uh, rookie draft this past weekend and I was able so I went I don't have any picks traded them all for tight ends I had three third round picks and a fourth round pick and I was able to package two of the third round picks and move to the two two and take Michael Carter boy oh boy um, suckers which was the very yeah shout out to my cousin Ben uh he'll be listening oh, and boy. he's still gonna be angry about it he was angry about it like five minutes oh, after he made the trade but um Ben give, give Ben my cell number I'll teach him how to fuck you up in that league <sighs> I'm not going to do that. Um, he's got more rings ben, than me, though. So call what me. Can I say? Call me. But I, I do agree completely because, you know, if you can't, you know, acquire proven assets, if you can't trade into future drafts, consolidating in this draft toward the top is exactly what you want to do. It's all about quality, not quantity. And that's not always the, you know, that's not always the case with rookie, like rookie drafts last year. I loved having late round picks. There was a lot of later round guys that I really liked. And I was looking forward to drafting those guys, knowing that I thought they were going to be a value, but this year making any pick after, 
exactly where you said, like the top like 17, 18 guys, it's painful because you might like a player, but is it really worth, you know, a late second? Like, is this guy really worth a late second round pick? Is Nico Collins really worth that when last year Antonio Gibson wasn't going until like the beginning of the third? That's right. <clears throat> the two three turn was really delicious last year. And, yep. you know, you could you could see, you know, Brian Edwards and uh, Antonio Gibson and. I know some people are saying, Brian Edwards, who gives a shit about him? Look, Brian Edwards is a great prospect. Yep. <clears throat> and I'm buying Brian Edwards, by the way. Definitely go buy Brian Edwards. I mean, with Aguilar gone, uh, Brian Edwards has to be a buy right now. You just look at the way that yep. that team is laid out. They're, they're, it's rugs on one side, and he's the sort of the field stretcher. I think Edwards steps right in this year, and I, I don't know what he does, but he's going to be <laughs> – fairly productive in that offense i think i think he'll play a pretty significant snap share and so i'm buying some of these second year wide receivers brian edwards obviously gabe davis you love come on me and gabe davis i mean running through fields holding hands i mean i'm just you know he's got me whimsical but um you know but same thing with rager um you know judy i think judy's a huge buy i love judy right now i think you know i'm not a huge uh, Teddy Bridgewater fan, but enough to deliver the ball on time and probably a little bit more to the to the slot technnician than to the outside. I think I think Judy pairs up pretty well with Teddy Bridgewater. Absolutely. With Drew Locke's, you know, gung-ho attitude. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, I, I, you know, all these sort of second-year wide receivers, even, I mean, even Henry Ruggs, am I allowed to say that? I mean, no, you're not. I can't. No, I, I, why, I, why, all right, let me let me say this, and I'm just I'm gonna say this just to piss off Kyle Larson. Why would you buy Henry Ruggs when you could buy KJ Hamler for a lot less? Yeah, or uh, Darnell Mooney, which I was saying all year. Or Darnell Mooney. You know, everybody said uh, I think it was he might be more expensive than both of them. Actually, he should be. I have him ranked ahead be. of both of yeah. them in Dynasty by by for sure. Darnell Mooney is. Definitely more valuable, in my opinion, than Henry Ruggs. So yeah, hundred percent. But um, but yeah, I mean, they're they're very similar players, as we said, not on this podcast because we didn't have one, but on Twitter because I did have that <laughs> yeah. last year. I said it loudly and well before the draft, well before everything. I mean, of course, it was very clear to see that that was going to be the case. Um, but you know, hey, you know, um, that's where we're at. So this year. There's no Darnell Mooney. I mean, there might be a Darnell Mooney, but it's harder to see. It really There's is. Some good man. players, but uh, it, it, draft capital was really screwed up this year, and the landing spots were even worse. I love Tylen Wallace, and I was hoping he didn't get the draft capital. He landed in a place where I could at least, you know, see a path. But I can make the case for Rashad Bateman, but I'm not going to make the case for Tylen Wallace drafted in the fourth round. Yeah, behind Rashad Bateman, behind um, Bateman, Sammy Watkins, San Bernardino Brown. I mean, it's just a lot. He has to climb over a lot of dead bodies to get to to get to you know. There fresh are a air. lot of dead bodies there. That's for sure. Yes, and um, you know he he wants to be the number one dead body on that team. Yeah. He's going to have to really really work hard to get there. Yeah, but uh, so so speaking of so that entire dead tier. <laughs> so obviously we are we are very pro. Don't make any picks after like the 18th overall pick, but. If you have a late second, uh, you know, an early third, and you have to make a pick or two, you, no one's trading with you. Yeah. Who are you taking? Who, well, who is your guy? Who are you planning a flag on? I like Diami Brown. I think he's going to get a lot of opportunity in a gunslinger's offense with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think he can hold up his value uh, in year one. Uh, so for me, it's it's Nico Collins and Diami Brown. You know, I, 
I um, I mentioned, I think, I don't know if I just wrote this and didn't say it. I don't remember if I said I, I sort of said that Dwayne Eskridge looks like the prototype of what a bust looks like. But I kind of like Dwayne Eskridge at value. Uh, you know, into the third, you're just looking for an opportunity. Yep. You know, I just think there's a lot of guys that are, you know, the same. So I'm I'm looking to take a lot of shots. So I, once I'm past that top, whatever it is, you know, 17, 18, I mean, yeah. maybe Diami Brown uh, sneaks into that, you know, that that top tier with me a little bit. Um, maybe Nico Collins, that would be about it. And then after that, I'm I'm looking to trade back from no, either. No, no, you can't trade back. Yeah. After that, then? Yeah, who are you drafting? No uh, one's trading with you anymore. For me, I mean, they're I'm always on Ross St. Brown. No, yeah, they're not. Go for it. Tell not me. in this league. This league, it's just you and me. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you- <laughs> I'm on Ross St. Brown. I think Jared Goff is going to love him because Jared Goff sucks, and he's just going to look down on Ross St. Brown, who's going to, you know, he profiles as a, a slot receiver who should receive pretty good volume in an offense that has basically no one at wide receiver. Um I liked Amon Ross St. Brown. I thought he'd get drafted before where, wherever he went, like the fifth round. Um, I wasn't huge on him, but I think he lands in a good position. Um, and also Des Fitzpatrick. I like um, Des. I like I Des better know, than I, Amon I didn't, I didn't know too much about him pre-draft, but the more that I've learned, and obviously he slides into a position where they just they are so shallow on offense. It's Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown and basically no one else. Well, Josh Reynolds, which I would actually be buying Josh Reynolds for the same reason. I don't think he uh, costs a lot, and I think that targets have to go somewhere else. Um, but yeah, Des Fitzpatrick is another one of those guys for me. No, you're right on the money. I I, I like um, you know I have that Diami Brown, Nico Collins, and then Amon Ross St. Brown right after him at pick 21. So I'm with yeah. you. That's I, that's what I'm taking. I've seen Amon Ra sneak up ahead of you know some 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 names. You know, whether yeah. it be Terrace Marshall or any one of those guys, right? Like he'll sneak up ahead yeah. of uh, a, a couple of those guys into the early second. Uh, people really projecting uh, the target people love share. The, I feel like they really love the name and then they saw the landing spot and it was just. Yes. Match made in heaven. That's right. And, but there's no guarantee there. I mean, I don't know what no. the hell they're going to do. I mean, they've got, you know, Tyrell Williams and they've got um, uh, Brashad Perriman and Quintez Cephas. I don't know. I'm not saying that he's not better than all those guys, but I'm also not saying he is. You know, you know what I mean? Yep. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just kind of a mess there. I don't think it's a guaranteed hundred target situation for him. Uh, but I'm with you with um, uh, uh, Des Fitzpatrick. I, he's my next, you know, next guy there. I mean, you know, you look at T- Tylen Wallace and Amari Rod. I'm moving Des Fitzpatrick ahead of Tylen Wallace. That's how bad it is. I mean. I know. I, yeah, I think you're Every right. Every day I feel like I'm moving Tylen Wallace down. It makes me sad. It does make me sad, but I think you're right. You know, Des Fitzpatrick is a fine football player with immense yep. opportunity in front of him. I mean, it's going to be uh, A.J. Brown, and I think it's going to be Josh Reynolds. Like no, That's you know, what I said. I've got Josh some Reynolds. Josh Reynolds uh, stash, uh, and I'm just going to break that stuff off and, you know, dust it off and, and put it in some lineups. I can't wait for the Josh Reynolds stuff. I mean, this is crazy. Um, but yeah, that, that's all Des Fitzpatrick has to do is is sort of o- you know overtake uh, Josh Reynolds or at least compete with Josh Reynolds for some for some targets, and he and he's he's relevant. So you know he, he doesn't have to be that good to be that good. It's it's you know that's spot on. And I am going to bring up one other name because you have him rated significantly higher than me, um, and also higher than a lot of these wide receivers, and that's Kenny Gainwell. 
Um, now, obviously, he's, you know, he got drafted by the Eagles in the fifth round. You know, draft capital sucked for a lot of these running backs. I think he could have gone a lot earlier. He took the year off for COVID, which probably hurt him. He might be, you know, other than Travis Etienne, he's probably the best pass-catching running back in this draft class. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure it's particularly close. I don't think he's very good at running between the tackles. Um, I don't know how much he's going to be able to flourish, you know, in a full-time role if something were to happen to Miles Sanders. But I, I think there's a very realistic path to day one production. Like, like he, you know, there's Boston Scott, but he, uh, Kenneth Gainwell should be Boston Scott plus, plus, plus. Like, <laughs> right. Austin Scott's fine um, in his role, but Kenny Gainwell, he could line up in the slot. Uh, and, and I think uh, Nick Sirianni is going to use Kenny Gainwell a lot like we saw Naheem Hines used. Bingo. And I think he's going to walk into a lot of, you know, e- even if Miles Sanders is completely healthy, he should walk into some day one um, value. Yeah, you said it, man. Great job. <laughs> Michael Duncan, nailing it. I mean, this is unbelievable. You want me to just go? You keep doing this. This is exactly right. No, no, you go ahead. You tell me. You've got him right significantly higher than me. So I'm curious. This is it. Look, when you're look, you're in the you're in the second round, late second round. You've you've gotten past the Diami Browns, and you know you're in the early third round or whatever. I mean, why aren't you taking Kenny Gainwell? First of all, if anything happens to Miles Sanders, holy shit, wheels up for for Kenny Gainwell. But it, even if nothing happens, I think you're right. I think he's sort of Naheem Hines. I think he's, I think he's at. Wait, he might be their like second or third best receiver on the team. Like, not fucking I, with you. <laughs> no, when when we drafted him, I legitimately sat down for a minute and I thought about it. And one of the biggest needs from my point of view for the Eagles was an electric slot receiver. You yeah, know, he's Greg that. Ward is there, and that's great. But Greg Ward can run about as fast as me, and he's a former quarterback. I think Kenny Gainwell is going to see time at wide receiver. He did it in college. Yeah. He ran good routes in college. I, 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 I think we see them both on the field at the same time. Same. I time. agree. If they if they have brains in their heads, they're going to use Kenny Gainwell a lot in the passing game because he's dope. He's electric. So yeah, I, I mean, I get, I'm getting excited right now. So you know, drafting Kenny Gainwell in that spot is definitely an upside play as well as a floor play. You know, yeah. the floor should be that he's a pass-catching running back in the NFL. And if you play in a PPR league, you know, hey, he, he could be uh, Tariq Cohen, Naheem Hines. I mean, James now, White. yep, the negative is that Miles Sanders is a good pass-catching back, so he's going to have to find, you know, other ways, like you say, in the slot, yeah. et cetera, because it's not like, oh, well, let's get this slug Miles Sanders off the field for passing down work. But here's the other thing. Miles Sanders has not proven to be nope. super durable. So, you know, they might look to utilize him like they did with Boston Scott and give him some series on his own in the backfield. I think that's 100 uh, percent, you know, possible and, and actually more likely than not. Yeah. And also just a quick note on Miles Sanders, because I feel like, you know, it's been getting a little bit out of hand recently. Miles Sanders is not dead. Kenny no. Gainwell does not. First of all, carry on. Johnson does not hurt Miles Sanders. That's At complete all. and total bullshit. Like, get out of here. He was not going to hurt DeAndre Swift. He's not, he's not hurting Miles Sanders. Relax. No. Um, Boston Scott does probably not hurt Miles Sanders. And neither does Jordan Howard. Again, stop. Does Kenny Gainwell hurt Miles Sanders? Sure. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Miles Sanders isn't getting 100% of the touches. But it's clear that he he shouldn't. You know, we've talked about it a few times, but I think Miles Sanders' ideal role is getting, you know, 12 to 15 carries, if not a little bit less, and getting some receiving work. And he needs to prove, like last year, he was 
god-awful in the receiving game. His rookie year, he was much better. He needs to prove that he can be the rookie version of himself in the receiving game, but Miles Sanders is not dead. Kenny Gainwell does not kill Miles Sanders because, as we just discussed, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see them both on the field at the same time and really not taking a lot from each other. So just wanted to get that out there. You helped me fix my my rankings as I, uh, I, you know, I've had to move Tylen Wallace down again, and it's sad. Um, Damn it. No, you're right. I mean, you're right. Um, I, I've got him behind Kadarius Tony now. Tylen Wallace. Yeah. Oh, he's dead. Pour I mean, one he's, out. He's right there next to Cadaver the Tony. And, oh, my God. What yeah. a place to be. Yeah, no, it's it's sad. It's like Dwayne Eskridge, Kadarius Tony, Tylen Wallace. What That's a What sad. a terrible spot. Like, you're just drafting there. You're like, fuck, I got to draft one of these guys. Like, and then you look further down the board and you're like, yeah, I do. I have to draft one of these guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, well, the draft is dead at that point. Which, uh, <laughs> that's yeah. right. And that's why you want to trade out of there. Cause it's a depressing draft. Like you just yep. pour one out for all these guys. Like it's really, really tough. But speaking of pouring one out, let's pour one out for Mark Mathic and let, let's close this one out. We did a great job filling in on short notice. We talked about the all the rookies. I hope you had a good time. Hope you all had a good time listening, but I think it's time to call it. Tell everybody where they can find you because actually you're underfollowed. And so, you know, this, you know, hey, you've got a big audience. Tell everybody, you know, hey, this pod's been growing a little bit. There might be tens of people listening who don't know who you are. Now tell them where the fuck to find you, Michael Duncan. Oh, it's very nice, Jax. Um, yeah, so uh, you can find me on Twitter at mp duncan 75 um and yeah i'm doing stuff over the undroppables obviously i'm the producer on this podcast i will be editing and sending this one out uh so i'm always here hanging out with jacks and uh i'm working on some articles right now for the undroppables i'm going to be doing some stuff uh for the rest of the off season uh participating in live streams all that kind of stuff doing some writing some rankings um yeah so you can find me at the undroppables.com on twitter at the undroppables and following Jax around on Twitter, trying to piss him off as much as I can. So. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to follow him because he definitely is in my wake, just, you know, throwing eggs at my house and like spray painting my, you know, my car. Like he's definitely fucking with my shit, you know, and I love him for it. That's what I hired him to do. I mean, he gets paid unspeakable amounts to do this work. Am I right? And I got a raise tonight. Yep. He did. I mean, he, I had to put him in action, put him on the show. That's a whole, t- what is that? 20, what is it? 10, 20%? What does it go up? I, I think we're up to 20%. Yeah. Jesus Christ. That's going to cost me. So, I mean, it's a lot and I don't think it's something I can afford, but he's worth it. Um, so definitely go follow him. Uh, by the way, also go check out our draft kit. Um, it's fucking fire. Mark Mathic was going to come on and talk about it. He had all sorts of technical difficulties over there in Shanghai. Um, Shanghai, as you all know, is in Brazil. And uh, what? Yep. Just hearing no. Okay, uh, we'll we'll check into where exactly Shanghai is, but uh, not in America. I can confirm not in America. And he was having some technical difficulties, but uh, he did an amazing job on our draft kit. It is it is high speed, man. That thing looks and feels like you know a real uh, you know like like ESPN put it out. It's fucking dope. It looks as good as the information that's in it. I don't know about that. I mean, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, no, it is. And, and really, we all contributed to some of the writing and some of the analysis and all that sort of stuff. But Mark Mathic was the one who did all the design and 
and really put it together and did an amazing job. So, you know, uh, go check him out. Go check out the draft kit. It's free, man. It's free. Um, you know, so so we, we, we feel real proud about that. And uh, we'll be back next week with Peter Howard, provided he doesn't fall off a cruise ship again this week. So we're, we're just kind of hoping for either a life preserver or something from Peter Howard. And he I'm a lifeguard. So. Holy shit. Well, I think he's going to be all right. Maybe Keep you should go hang out with him until make sure he's safe. I mean, I can, I'll double your salary if you do that. That's a good call. I'll do all that. Right. All right. Perfect. All right. For everybody here at the Undrafted, for everybody at the Undroppables, for Michael, for Mark Mathic, who fell off his own cruise ship, for me, Jax Falcone, peace out. Peace out.